Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 86. Today's episode is all about the burden of secrets. When we have a secret on our mind, it, it essentially feels compromising. Um, when we feel preoccupied with a secret, we feel like we have less resources available for for other tasks. And so when people think about a secret or when a secret really preoccupies their mind, the world around them seems more challenging. Um, tasks seem more effortful. Hills seem steeper uh, as if it would require more work to, to scale a hill. If you're new to Mind Love, First, I am so glad you're here. And second, don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Giving your mind a little love isn't just a one-time thing, it's a way of life. Plus, more subscribers helps me attract more amazing guests and gives you more opportunities to change your life. So don't forget to subscribe. Do you have a secret? I bet you do. Because turns out, on average, we each carry 13 secrets at any given time. 13 things that we're just unwilling to share with people. Or maybe it's that we're ashamed to share with people. But let me ask you this. Have you ever taken a moment to feel the secret? When you bring it to mind right now, what does it feel like in your body? Heavy? Dark? Sinking? Nauseating? Stuck? Or maybe it feels exciting and kind of fluttery. Or maybe it doesn't feel like much at all. For me, the way a secret feels in my body depends on the intention behind it. Why was it that I categorized this piece of information as a secret? Sometimes someone else has given me the secret to keep, so it wasn't really my choice. But when the secret is my own, usually I don't want the information disclosed because I'm ashamed about it. So if I'm carrying around a secret, I'm also carrying around shame. Sure, I have chunks of time, maybe even days and weeks where I don't think about it at all. But when it does inevitably come back into my mind, I usually feel a slight pit in my stomach and a heaviness in my shoulders and contraction in my heart space, which is a huge reason why I don't keep a lot of secrets anymore. But that definitely wasn't always the case. Thinking back to my mid-twenties, I had secrets oozing out of my pores. The idea of someone finding out I was bulimic was my ultimate nightmare. If I was dating someone who I felt was catching on, I'd cut the relationship off before he'd even get the balls to bring it up. Wait, I'm getting a tickling feeling that that phrase is not okay anymore, but damn it, balls. I just can't help myself. Sometimes progress is not always good. Anyways, not the point. Before that secret, I had a different one. I've already shared this on the show, so why not share it again? In my childhood and my early teens, I had a pretty intense masturbation habit. Might have been more of an addiction. I remember actually thinking, well, I can't marry anyone because how can I keep this from my husband? The irony is, if you can't tell, that I've always been a bit of an oversharer. 
But looking back, I wonder if I openly shared so many things to keep people far away from the secrets I held close. Like maybe if I preoccupied them with this crazy information, they'd never suspect the other crazy thing. And if they started to catch on, they'd second guess and say, well, if she told us about that other weird thing, why would she hide this one? Whatever the reason, I was an open book with a few hidden chapters. But here's the thing. I vividly remember the shift of energy when I finally opened up about both of those things. It was so much more than just finally sharing a secret. It was even so much more than just suddenly feeling like this huge burden had been lifted. The real magic was that something about opening up allowed me to detach from it a little so that it no longer held meaning about me or my worth. And the surprising part was that it didn't even really matter how the person I was telling responded. The very first person in my life that I had ever told I had been bulimic actually responded pretty badly at first. I also told him at a highly emotional time, I was freaking out about food options when we were traveling internationally and being a little dramatic, and then just blurted it out. But after his initial reaction, he was only supportive. What I learned was that sharing this big thing I had been holding on to wasn't as life-threatening as I believed it to be. And it doesn't even matter how anyone else reacts to what I'm sharing. What does matter is that I'm able to release it. And I'm able to process it and give it the meaning that I choose to. Not only that, but I only realized how much it was weighing me down, affecting my self-worth, affecting how close I got to people, affecting what I believed would be possible for me, until I let it go. So the fact that we each have an average of 13 secrets at any given time is so shocking to me because I know how secrets can affect a person. And I'll give you a hint. Overall, it's not great with secrets. (laughs) So what do we do about it? How do we know when a secret is harmful and how do we make it more bearable to open up? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Michael Slepian. He's the leading expert on the psychology of secrets. He's authored more than 50 articles on secrecy, truth, and deception. And he's also the author of The Secret Life of Secrets. So three key things we will learn are the consequences of secrets and how to know when to open up the distinction between secrecy and privacy, and the psychology of positive secrets. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Michael Slepian to the show. Thanks for having me. So what interested you in studying secrecy? When I first started studying secrecy, I actually wasn't interested in secrecy. I was interested in in metaphor. And it would turn out that this sort of sideways view into secrecy would be what would be the start of this sort of 10-year program of research that's really changed how we think about secrecy. And so in the very beginning, 
I was interested in metaphor and was interested in many metaphors. One of them happened to be related to secrecy, where people will describe a secret as something that's heavier or weighty. A secret can weigh you down or burden you. And so I became interested. If people talk about secrets this way, do they think about secrets in this way? And so in my very initial studies, we had people think about secrets and we asked them to make judgments that we know vary when people are actually physically encumbered, um, when people are actually fatigued or, or worn down or, or carrying something heavy. They judge distances as farther, hills as deeper, tasks as requiring more effort. And it turned out when people were thinking about significant secrets, we saw those same effects indicating that just having a secret on the mind seemed to bring this sense of burden. That is so interesting, especially because if these secrets are burdening us all, you'd think that we'd have less of them. But you found that people on average have 13 secrets? That's right. And so the way we arrive at that number is we asked a couple of thousand people, what's the secret that you are currently keeping? And we looked at those responses and identified 38 common themes or 38 common categories of secrets. And we know that this list really does a good job of, of comprehensively capturing what people keep secret. Because when we give people this list, um, very often they have at least one secret from that list. And on average, at any given moment in time, people have 13 secrets from that list of 38. I was reading that list and I was like, man, I feel like I need more secrets. I just tell people <laughs> about all these things pretty freely. But even so, I, I think my audience knows that I'm an oversharer, but even so, I still have certain things that I hold close to me. But I'm wondering, how universal is secrecy? Is this something that's unique to humans? Is it, do, do children keep secrets? Children keep secrets. It seems like people in all cultures keep secrets. Even chimpanzees can keep secrets under certain circumstances. And so it seems like if you have the cognitive capacity to keep secrets, you do. How do chimpanzees keep secrets or how do we know that they do? So there's some great work by Franz Dewall, a primatologist who studied chimpanzees and, and other apes. And he has these amazing stories of a little raunchy of chimpanzees keeping secrets. And so for them, you know, the kinds of secrets that they might keep is, you know, the location of food. And there's also secrets around sex, uh, which are kind of fascinating. And, and so one well-known story um, from Franz Dewall, he uh, observed a chimpanzee courting is a little bit more direct in chimpanzees. And so the way, here's the raunchy part, uh, the way a chimpanzee might show interest in another chimpanzee, a way a male chimpanzee might show interest in another female chimpanzee is by putting its erect penis on display. Uh, and so that's something that's okay to do when the alpha male is not around. And Franz Dewall observed uh, a chimpanzee putting on this display. And as soon as the, the alpha male was on the scene, he quickly tried to cover it with his hands uh, as if that could kind of conceal what was going on. Um, chimpanzees have even been observed trying to mate extra quietly for this reason, because the, that's okay to do as long as the alpha male doesn't find out. It sounds like being at a bar in West Hollywood. <laughs> it's really not that different. <laughs> so when we think about the fact that everyone has secrets, that secrets are a burden or can be a burden, is it that all secrets are a burden? Just holding something that we're not willing to share can burden us? Or is there a difference in 
the kinds of information and how it affects us. Yeah, so only some secrets are burdensome. And the work that came before mine kind of was interested in this day, are, are secrets good or bad? And that question can only get you so far because not all secrets are the same. Um, some secrets will hurt you and others won't. And shockingly, uh, the question of which secrets hurt you and why hadn't yet been asked uh, before I started this program of research, but that's a question I've studied a number of times um, over the past years. And how do you decide when something is a secret versus maybe just not having the opportunity to share it? So there's plenty of things we that other people don't know about us that doesn't necessarily make those things secrets. What distinguishes a secret from other things that people might not know about you, whether because it simply hasn't come up yet, or maybe because it's a more private matter that you would only discuss with someone that's close to you. What makes something a secret and distinguishes for these other things we might call undisclosed or privacy is the specific intention to hold that information back. And so if the reason other people don't know about it is you intend to hold it back, that's a secret. That makes a lot of sense because... Yeah, maybe you never have the opportunity either way, but if you've already thought about it and think, yeah, if this ever comes up, I'm just going to reroute or I'm going to lie or whatever, Mm -hmm. then it's at that moment that you're choosing to keep a secret. I wonder what happens, though, if you haven't had the time to think about it and then somebody asks you, well, I guess that would be the answer in that moment if you're like, oh, I'm not going to let this out. That, That just becomes the moment you have a secret, I assume. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there are other interesting examples of this. I, I think a good example of this is, you know, there's things about you that like say your friends know about you or your family that maybe doesn't feel totally secret, um, but then you're in a new romantic relationship and it's like, oh, wait, I have to reveal this thing and this thing. And these things kind of become secrets again and, until you can reveal them. I had a lot of those things when I got into my relationship with my husband. (laughs) It was just funny because I told him a lot of the things in the beginning and I have some pretty big things from my past. And he's like, oh my God, these things just keep spilling out. And I remember just (laughs) telling him, I'm like, I have more. I'm like, I just need you to know. This way it's it's like on the cusp of being a secret because I'm telling you I have them and I will eventually share it with you. But just, I need to wait till you love me more. Yeah, there's a there's an art to sort of slowly putting those cards down for sure. You actually have a pretty interesting story around your own family's bombshell secret, and we love stories on this podcast. So will you go deeper into that? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You actually have a pretty interesting story around your own family's bombshell secret. And we love stories on this podcast. So will you go deeper into that? Yeah. So so this story takes place um 2013, not you know, close to 10 years ago. And what's happening at the time is I'm just starting my secrecy research. Uh, and I'm in fact on an interview at Columbia and I'm presenting my research on secrecy, the the various studies I told you about before on sort of metaphor and, and this sense of burden that we associate with our secrets. And so I have this very long day full of meetings. I present this like 90 minute research talk. And the whole day I'm telling people about, you know, my research on secrecy, this brand new research. And that interview carries on into the evening. We have dinner with some folks and then we get drinks after that and, and then it's like close to midnight and I see a missed call from my dad and then a little bit later I see a second missed call from him and and he never calls me out of the blue let alone close to midnight and so all of a sudden I thought oh no something tragic has happened whatever he needs to tell me it seems like it can't wait uh, and so eventually I called him back it's really late at night and he then tells me, I need to tell you something. Um, can you please sit down? And then he goes on to tell me that he is not biologically able to have children. He was telling me that he is not my biological father. Um, this, it turns out, was a secret uh, that my entire family was in on, everyone except for my younger brother uh, and me had known about this secret the whole time for entire lives 
And so as you can imagine, learning that kind of secret is surprising. It's pretty shocking. But it wasn't the information that was bothersome. It wasn't sort of learning this new detail that that shifted the ground under my feet. It, it was learning about the secret keeping. Uh, the first thing I thought immediately was, well, you know, the people I'm really close to, my really good friends, those relationships aren't based on genetics. So, you know, who cares what who has which genes? Th- that really didn't bother me and it, it made some, you know, the relationship more special even. But it was the secret keeping that was really surprising. Oh, I can only imagine. I actually no uh, situation, no of a situation like that regarding adoption. And all these people know, except for the person that should. And and I'm wondering, you explained how that impacted you, but did you find out any information about how that has impacted or if it has impacted your parents over the years? Yeah. So I started asking questions about that, especially as I started writing the book, asking them, what was it like to, to keep that secret? And it was really surprising or, or not surprising. <laughs> it, it was fascinating to learn that what they were telling me lined up so well with what my research was showing at the time, where they would say, you know, it wasn't hiding that was difficult. Once in a while, a conversation would make us think about the secret, but it wasn't conversationally difficult to hold back or, or to keep. You just don't mention it. And of course, we never asked our parents, uh, are we genetically related to you? It's just not a question that comes up. And so technically, it was a, a secret that was easy to keep, but sometimes their mind would return to that secret. And especially as we got older, they started to become less sure about whether they had made the right decision. Their intention was to never tell us this secret. I'm sorry. I have so many thoughts about that. It's like, how do you then decide? I wonder what then made them decide. Was it Maybe if you never wrote a, a book about secrets, maybe they would have stuck with that. But then you're like, just happened to be bringing out research and they're like, turns out there might be a lot of downsides to this. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So I did not know that at the time. Years later, when I'm writing this book and I'm asking more questions about the secret and what it was like, I, you know, I never even had considered asking this question before. When did you first start considering to reveal this secret to us? And my mom asked me, well, when did your first paper on secrecy come out? It was my own research that had changed her thinking. Oh my gosh. It's just like, you can't write this, except you did write it. (laughs) (laughs) It brings me to the question though, some things, I could see where your dad is coming from, where especially when it's a medical issue, like maybe not being able to biologically have children. Some people just think that that's a, a private matter. And In this specific situation, it's like, well, you're very much involved. Maybe you should be in on the privacy. But how do we decide what is that distinction between intending to keep a secret versus just accepting or or feeling like this is just within the realm of privacy, if that makes sense? You're completely right. That line is blurry. Uh, We can draw that line by coming back to this intention that is if you intend for other people to not learn it, that's a secret. If it's something that you could be willing to talk about in the right setting with the right person, if you felt comfortable and if you were close with them, but you wouldn't tell just anyone, you know, that could be something 
private. But if there's some specific person that you intend to not learn this information, it, it's a secret. And for my parents' example, that's exactly how my dad thought of it when I would ask him. He was like, well, you know, I just thought of this as a medical detail. We don't share all our medical details with with other people. Um, you know, that's kind of a matter of privacy. And so something can be a mix of both, really. It, it makes it hard to to draw that line. But at the end of the day, if you intend for someone to not learn something, I would call that a secret. So we've kind of touched on some of the stakes of secrets and how it can actually feel like a physical burden. And you sort of mentioned like hills can feel steeper and and weight can feel heavier. But what are the all of the common threads of our experiences with secrecy. And can you go into more detail about the whole hill being steeper and things like that? Yeah, so so the idea there is that when we have a secret on our mind, it, it essentially feels compromising. Um, when we feel preoccupied with a secret, we feel like we have less resources available for, for other tasks. And so when people think about a secret or when a secret really preoccupies their mind, the world around them seems more challenging. Um, tasks seem more effortful. Hills seem steeper, uh, as if we require more work to, to scale a hill. And so when I first found those findings and presented them to colleagues, some people thought they were very interesting. And some people thought, is this secrecy? Um, don't you need two people in a room, one person hiding something from another person to, to study secrecy? And that's when I started realizing oh, we actually don't know anything about secrecy, really. We know so little about secrecy because people had this assumption, the, the research that came before mine equated secrecy with the moment when you hide something in a conversation. But if our secrets only existed in those moments, secrecy would be so easy. Our secrets don't exist only in those moments. They exist before and after, and that seems to be where the real harms are. All the other moments... Are certain people more likely to either have secrets or experience secrets in a certain way? Yeah, there's two different ways of thinking about that. One is sort of this habitual use of secrecy, um, which we can consider a personality trait of its own. Someone who chronically keeps secrets because they're too embarrassed to open up. Um, someone who their way of dealing with problems is just burying them and, and not talking about them with other people. As you might imagine, that's a really unhealthy way of working through problems, um, essentially ignoring them. Um, and so those people who have that coping style uh, are, are pretty unhealthy um, because they're not working on problems that need to be addressed. Another way of thinking about it, um, sort, of, sort of not thinking about habitual chronic secrecy um, in a pathological sense, but just thinking about regular everyday secrecy, we also can think about personality and certain personality traits make people more likely to keep secrets. Um, some that would make perfect sense to you. So for example, introverted people keep more secrets. People who are less emotionally stable, which is the sort of modern word for, for neurotic, um, keep more secrets. Uh, and then this one, this one I find really interesting. People who are more conscientious keep more secrets. People who are sort of more careful and diligent will more closely guard their secrets. That makes sense because... If you are conscientious, you're like thinking of both sides all the time. Like, how is somebody going to react to this? Like, what are people going to see me as if yeah. they see me through the lens of the secret? So I wonder, we talked about how 
even children keep secrets. But do they keep secrets for the same reasons or with the same energy as adults? Or does the does our the way we hold the secrecy kind of evolve when we reach adolescence or teen years? So our, our secrecy does evolve through our later years in a negative way. Um, so when when children first learn to keep secrets, they do. And, you know, they'll use secrecy as a way to try to escape punishment or, or hide an accident or hide mischief. But children can get, like, we're, we're talking about, you know, childhood size indiscretion. So it's not really a problem. Um, so a very common secret, for example, when children are around three or five, unfortunately, just as children learn about keeping secrets is also they're not yet toilet trained. Uh, but so, you know, they're keeping secrets like wetting the bed in, in their pants and so on. But at the same time, as especially as they get a little bit older, they start understanding that secrecy is not just a way to try to escape punishment, but our secrets can be this special things. When you ask a child what a secret is, they might tell you it's something you would only tell your best friend. They equate secrecy with this sense of intimacy, this, this thing you would only share with special people. By the time they get to their adolescent years, however, then they start becoming concerned about social approval, um, you know, issues of identity and shame, and they become more concerned about saying the wrong thing than, than getting help. And that's when secrecy starts looking like what it does in our adult years. Kids have almost a more healthier sense of secrecy. Adults forget that there's this really positive social intimacy aspect of secrecy. So is there a ways that parents can engage with their child or teach them about secrets or, I don't know, handle their the secrets they maybe can perceive from their children in a way that helps them develop better. Any of my secrets in childhood, can parents handle it in a way that like makes the outcome better or worse? Does that make sense? Yeah. And the answer is that parents can do things that can help their children have more healthy relationships with secrecy. And and what that comes down to is essentially two things. One, maybe it's one thing. <laughs> when parents themselves don't have the best coping skills, um, when parents don't model effective coping for their children, children might learn that the way to deal with problems is, is to not talk about them. And so as a parent, you want to model really effective and healthy coping so that children understand what that looks like. And what that comes down to is sharing things with others and sort of being open. When especially when they get to their teenage years, if if children, teens are, are worried about an angry outburst or, or disapproval, um, if that's how parents respond to, you know, negative admissions, it's going to discourage teens from opening up uh, because they realize they can avoid those things by, by staying quiet. And so even if uh, a child reveals something to you that you think is wrong or, you know, you, you think they've done the wrong thing, if you can respond in a more level-headed way with compassion and acceptance, and you could say, you know, you did a wrong thing, but if you can do so in a way that that signals that there's, you know, a way forward and you can talk about it and you can work through it together, that will keep the door open for, for future confessions and requests for help. Because if you don't want to close that door, that's when we find 
harmful secrecy. That makes so much sense. I feel like that's so often the situation in like a rom-com or a romantic comedy. It's like the parent, the kid comes to them, to the parent about like wanting to be sexually active or something. And you can see the parent's mind like spiraling, but then also trying to be a good receiver for this information so that that child continues to deliver information. But you mentioned something about modeling better coping. And I know you talk about there are how there are three distinct paths forward from secrets. Can you go into more detail about those? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. But you mentioned something about modeling better coping. And I know you talk about there are how there are three distinct paths forward from secrets. Can you go into more detail about those? Yeah. So the when we were talking about these these different categories of secrets that people keep, 
one way of trying to understand how does what the secret what, how does what the secret is about relate to the well-being harm so that secret 30 different categories the secrets is, is too many to, to sort of to get at that question and so what we want to do is understand how do those different secrets compare to each other and it turns out that we think about our secrets in three primary ways we can see a secret as being immoral and the more we see a secret as being immoral, the more likely we are to feel ashamed of it. We can see a secret as really related, as really personal and individual. And that is a secret that will feel more isolating to keep. And then we can feel a secret is, is not necessarily goal-oriented, but just based in feeling and emotion. And those are secrets we feel that we don't have much insight into when we feel really unsure about them. And so the three different dimensions of secrets have these three associated harms and learning it's, it's actually good news here that if there's three different ways that a secret can hurt you it means that there's three ways in which a secret may not hurt you and it turns out that often what is the case is there's at least one dimension by which your secret isn't hurting you and when you can help people realize which dimension that is that's a real clue as to the way forward um, the healthy way of thinking about your secret, a coping resource that is available to you. Do you have an example of that that might ground that information into reality a little bit? Yep. And so to, to get full coverage, I'd have to give you three examples, uh, but okay. we can you know, think about one at first. Um, so if you decide that if you feel sure that your secret is not wrong, um, it's not immoral, or that nobody is being hurt, by, by not knowing that information, if, if that's your judgment on that matter, that's, that can really help you feel better about your secret. Um, you know, that can shift feelings of shame uh, or that can reduce feelings of shame if you realize, well, actually, you know, maybe the secret's hard to keep. And, you know, maybe in an ideal world, I'd talk about it with other people. But if it's not causing anyone harm, that should help you feel a lot better about keeping that secret. That makes sense. I specifically remember a time that I had a secret and it was just weighing on me. Like it would come up and I could feel myself kind of redirecting conversations sometimes with a specific friend. It was my best friend at the time. And then the moment that I told her, there was a brief moment of feeling better. And then immediately I was like, I shouldn't have said that. Like I shouldn't have told this person. And looking back, it was because I told the wrong person. (laughs) But how do you decide when is the right time to let go of that burden, maybe open up a little bit and who a good person to deliver the information to would be? Let's first handle who's the person and then finish with when is the right time. So we do see in our research that there are certain qualities of people that make them better confidants. And we see that people especially find confidants helpful or really want to confide in people that they judge as compassionate. So someone who will respond in a non-judgmental way and who will be empathic and and caring and you know emotionally supportive. Another feature, though, that is also helpful is someone who is assertive someone who will push you to do something and and find a way forward. Qualities that are less than helpful, people don't really like to confide in people that they see as like talkative social butterflies. Um, As you can imagine, people might be concerned about the secret saying safe. Uh, People also don't like to confide in people who are 
overly concerned with rules. As you can imagine, for the same reason that if someone is going to be scandalized by your admission, it's probably not the right person to choose. And so you're looking for someone who will see it in a similar way as you, someone who has a sort of enough of a similar set of morals that they won't be totally uh, shocked by what you tell them in a sort of in in a negative way. And someone who will be there for you and who you trust with the secret and who will be discreet and someone who, you know, will respond in a more helpful way than not. As far as when is the right time to reveal a secret, I, I've certainly been in this situation before where you're where I have a secret and I'm ready to reveal it and I'm just waiting for that perfect moment to reveal it. And you know what? It never comes. <laughs> like no one's just like ready. Just like, hey, let's talk about secrets. It just, it just, you kind of have to make that situation happen yourself. And so if you have a moment of bravery or sort of a moment, a moment of intimacy where you're sort of trading confidences, if you're feeling okay, like go for it because the situations hardly present themselves. You sometimes have to make them. Yeah, I have always been on the receiving end of secrets. For some reason, my entire life, I am the person that people want to tell. Like The amount of times I've heard, you're the only person I've told this to, is a lot. And it's interesting because now I'm totally fine with that. I've always been fine with that. But when I was younger, I wasn't good at keeping them because I, I never really kept a whole lot of secrets myself. And so I like didn't understand how. I'm like, if I can't do this for my own sacred information, why are you telling me, a 15-year-old, that you just cheated on your boyfriend or whatever? <laughs> it kind of reminds me of how you said that when you found out about your family's bombshell secret one of the more disturbing parts of it was just understanding that everyone around you had been keeping a secret. How do you handle that? Or what do we need to know about holding other people's secrets? Do Are the burdens the same if it's somebody else's? Like if, if I decide to divulge something on somebody and I'm like, you can't tell anybody, did I just create a burden for them? The times you're more likely to create a burden for them is when you have highly overlapping social networks or the, there's someone implicated in the secret that that person knows too. So the more likely that's the situation, now that person is going to have to conceal the secret on your behalf and that can lead it to be a burden. Also, if it's just something really surprising and really hard for them to grapple with, now they're going to have to think about this thing and try to make sense of it. Um, if it's the kind of thing that their mind is now going to return to it over and over again, it, it's also going to be a burden. Perhaps the most important thing that we see in our research is that you choose someone with a similar set of morals. The more likely, the, the more that someone finds your secret that you've revealed to them morally objectionable, morally wrong, the more likely they are to reveal it to a third party, essentially as a form of punishment for the wrongdoing. And so that's why you really don't want to reveal a secret to someone that's going to be totally scandalizing to them. You want to find someone who would be a bit more understanding. So say you have that best friend, you guys have all of the same social connections, and you know that your best friend's not good at keeping secrets. But you have this thing, and it keeps being on like almost the cusp of conversation. What are some of your tips to maybe redirect so that you can, I guess, deflect where the, the topic is going without maybe increasing the burden on yourself? Right. When, when the right choice is to not reveal in that moment, 
one of the most effective strategies you can use, say someone's asked you a question related to the secret, you know, research finds that if you answer a slightly different question, that will often go undetected. Or if you ask a question of your own, um, that will often move the conversation on in another direction. Um, if you've ever been sort of waiting to add something to a conversation to realize you've missed your chance, um, you realize how quickly conversations can move from topic to topic. You know, what if you try to deflect? What if you try to dodge and they ask you the question again that they're like, no, I'm going to press you on it. One of the best things you can do if someone's really pushing you on something, and this really doesn't happen very often. It's very rare that someone will continually push a topic. If they recognize that you've dodged, the normal thing to do is just to let it go. But if for some reason they really press you on it, what the research suggests you should do in that situation is to essentially acknowledge or actually thank them. You'd be like, you know, I thank you for your concern or, you know, I appreciate that you're checking in on me, but I need more time to to think about this thing. You know, you want to signal to someone that the reason if you're if you find yourself in this situation where you have to like decline to answer, you want to signal that it, it's not who is asking the problem, it's it's the setting or or the timing and and that you want to return to it later. Yeah, that makes sense. I I'm just thinking of like my 21 and 22 year old self. I was the secret pusher. <laughs> it's like <laughs> okay, clearly you haven't met a 22 year old girl on Adderall because she <laughs> will pull out those secrets. Uh, one since we're on the topic of like you know shared social circles, some of those secrets might be more positive secrets, like a proposal or a surprise party or something like that. Do secrets like that have the same weight behind them or, or the same psychological implications that the more negative secrets have? Fortunately, they don't. Um, those secrets are actually quite different. And there's a few reasons why. If there's a secret that we're keeping that we feel good about, you know, it's a marriage proposal, um, it's a pregnancy that you've been trying to have and you're finally pregnant. Um, if you have a surprise party or a gift, when you keep that thing a secret, you get to live with it more in your thoughts and you get to sort of think about it over and over. And, and research shows the more you focus on the positive things in life, um, the more you savor the good things in life, the happier and healthier you are. And so keeping something secret allows you to savor it. Um, it allows you to think about it over and over, this, this really good thing. Another thing that makes positive secrets different is for many of them, not all of them, um, but for many of them, there's this planned expiration date where you're going to make the marriage proposal. You're going to make the pregnancy announcement. And having that plan for revealing that secret also makes people feel in control. And feeling control is one of the most important qualities of a human life. When people feel in control of their lives, they're, they're healthier and they even live longer. That makes sense. And maybe it's good practice for people to start <laughs> developing neural pathways that make them better at keeping secrets. But you talk about also uh, how we can potentially thrive when we're carrying secrets. And so say there is something that we identify as something, okay, yeah, I'm I'm going to carry this secret. This is going to be one of those things that I don't share, whether it's they don't share it with everybody or, or maybe it's just that one thing that they want to keep private. What are some outlets that people can use so that they're not burdened as much 
by the secret that they're keeping. So the, the best one is always talking to someone if you can. So you don't have to reveal the secret to the person you're keeping it from. But if you can find a third party to talk to, it can just make a whole world of difference. Other people can just so easily offer you things that are so hard to find on your own. Um, Other people think differently than you. Other people have other perspectives. When we choose to be alone with something, especially something significant or upsetting or or bothersome, you're likely to find a really unhealthy way of thinking about it. And it's really hard to find a healthier way of thinking about it. But it's, it's quite easy with just a short conversation we see in the research that people don't need a lot, as in just a little bit of help in a conversation can go a really long way. Um, someone has to respond really negatively for confiding to backfire. And so just a, just a small response, just someone validating your experience or someone saying, that sucks, I'm, I'm here for you, or just, just someone listening, that can really help. So is it even plausible, though, to be completely secret free. I know that for a while, or maybe it still is a movement or a book or something about radical honesty. I remember watching, I think it was like the show Love on Netflix or something. And one of the main characters was like, I'm being radically honest now, (laughs) something along those lines. Is that plausible or possible or even healthy? I don't think so. I, I think sometimes keeping a secret is the right thing to do. And, you know, one of the most obvious examples of that is, you know, what we call white lies, where by holding back a truth, you protect someone's feelings. If revealing something is just going to hurt someone's feelings unnecessarily, it it's better to hold back. And, and the research shows people find that to be the more compassionate choice than to reveal something for no other reason to hurt someone's feelings. It reminds me of, I think this has been a conversation that a lot of people have had. I know I've had it with my girlfriends, like, would you rather be told if you were cheated on or not? (laughs) And we've kind of gone around and it's like, well, it depends where we are in the relationship. That's one of those things that could affect the person's life. It could be a morality issue, but maybe if the person like learned their lesson and then was like, oh my God, that was a horrible mistake. I'm never doing it again. It technically would only hurt the person receiving the information. Have you thought about that? And what did you, what conclusion did you come to? Yeah, so I have thought about this, and it, it's essentially the hardest version of this question where if you reveal this, it could really hurt someone, it could destroy your relationship. And, and so the question is should you reveal it? Um, the, the, I think there's two important factors here. First, Why are you revealing it? If you're just revealing it to make yourself feel better, of course, the risk is this might make you feel better, but it might make your partner feel a whole lot worse. And so some people recommend that if this, imagine this was a one-time thing of regrettable mistake, it's not a pattern of some large, it's not a a symptom of some larger problem, then maybe there's a world where you're doing the right thing by keeping that a secret. If it's if it's sort of this serial problem, um, that's a really different situation. And you know, I think that's the kind of thing most people agree the other person deserves to know. Another thing to factor into your decision also is would the other person want to know? And I, I posed this question to 300 people in committed relationships where I outlined it. Imagine your partner in a total lapse of judgment. You know, they're drunk. They're, they're somewhere else. They make this mistake. They would never do it again. Um, it's not a symptom of some larger problem. 
would you want to know? And essentially around 75% of people, and I was really surprised by this, and some people <laughs> are like, Do they, are they really being honest with themselves? Um, but 75% of people said they would want to know. Um, but even if that number seems really high to you and you think it should be, you think it would be lower, you know, another way of thinking about it is, you know, one in four people say they wouldn't want to know. So it's, that's certainly not a trivial amount. And so my advice here in this situation, if this is something you're dealing with, if you're trying to decide this incredibly significant confession um, that could have such huge ramifications, there's no reason to make this decision alone. Talk to someone else and see what they think. Well, thank you so much for all of the information you brought about secrets. <laughs> I think it's something that we need to discuss more openly because yeah. you're right. I've There have been times in my life where I've had some big secrets, like an eating disorder, like uh, things about myself that I thought made me less of a person. And I think that's what I really got from sharing is not only was I able to release some of the energy around those things, but it made me see that a lot of the things weren't such a big deal. A lot of the things were not reflections of my worth or who I am as a person. It's just something I did or something I have or, or whatever it is. So I think it's so important to talk about. So for people that might be carrying their own secret or just in, interested in this information, where is the best place for them to connect with you and find your book? Uh, they could go to michaelslopian.com. That's just my name. Um, you can also go to keepingsecrets.org. That's where you can look at those 38 categories of secrets. You can even take the survey and say which ones you're, you're keeping and you can compare uh, the secrets that you're keeping. You can see how they compare to other people of your gender and, and age. Or you can look up the book, the, the Secret Life of Secrets. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x86. Your challenge for this week, I bet you can guess it, is to open up about a secret. Now, please use your own discernment here with everything. That should always be the case. It's kind of funny that we always have to have these little disclaimers when we have a following or a lot of people listening, but I guess it's good because it's a lot of practice. So let me just give the disclaimer over the whole show. Any challenges, any suggestions I make, always check in with yourself. And if you feel like you need to check in with another professional, do that as well. My guidance nowadays is always my internal guidance. So I like to sit down with myself and take time and space to feel in my body what happens when I have an idea or when I'm thinking about moving forward on something or making progress check in, ask myself if this feels right, if it feels right for right now, if this is something that I can do, maybe take into account some of the things that could go wrong and what I will do in those cases. Like in this case, if somebody doesn't respond well, how will you then handle that? Will you look at it as amazing? The universe is giving me a moment and an experience to practice what it feels like when somebody else rejects something that I say or responds abrasively. Maybe that's my opportunity to grow in that moment. But it's also okay to say, you know, if somebody doesn't respond well to this, I don't think I'm in a place to handle that. And so maybe now is not the right time or that is not the right person. So always, always, always check in with yourself with anything that anyone ever challenges you to do. For me, 
As I said earlier, when I opened up about my secrets, it was like all of a sudden I wasn't caged in this little box anymore. I wasn't carrying around my own baggage, just taking it from place to place and relationship to relationship. And so for me, it was really healing. I think it was also the right time and I had done enough work on myself that I could handle it in that moment. So ask yourself, what are you ready for? And even if it does feel scary, that doesn't always mean that you're not ready for it. Most big things that I've done have felt scary and it's the pushing through that gets me to the other side, the pushing or the uncomfortableness that creates the transformation. And also, I know what it feels like in my body to know when to give myself grace or time or space or love and know when it's not time to push. So only you know that with yourself, but almost every experience in your life gives you a time to practice. So practice checking in with your body when you're happy, when you're relaxed, when you're stressed, when you're nervous, when you're considering a big goal. Learn your own body's language so that you can receive the guidance that it's trying to give you. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you want me to be a soft space for your secrets, I will receive them well, and I will not tell anyone, (laughs) but might be a good person to practice on. Just trying to help, but not pressure. So again, always check back in with you. If you'd like to support this show, the best way to do so is by joining MindLove Premium at mindlove.com slash premium, where you get a whole backlog of over 50 exclusive episodes just for premium members, plus meditations and other bonuses, and an ad-free listening experience and even early release episodes. So that's at mindlove.com slash premium or right there in the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of MindLove's amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors, along with discount codes for each of them. You can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, you just might have your 60 seconds of fame when I read it on the show. Plus, I'll love you more than I do right now. That's just a fact. (laughs) And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time.